0: Welcome to episode two of That's Horse Pucky. Today, we sit down with Dr. Brian Nielsen, professor of equine exercise physiology at Michigan State University. Thank you for meeting with me. First of all, I appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Today, I just wanted to sit down and talk about horse supplements with you. And it seems like there's a horse supplement on the market for every problem. Absolutely every problem.
1: And and some of these supplements cure all the problems or at least that's what you would believe if you believe they're advertising
0: right so and that's one of my questions for instance glucosamine they say that there's a lot of products that say they're great for the joints and they say that they're gonna help
1: glucosamine is one of my favorite ones to talk about because I actually did some research on glucosamine a number of years ago and it was at a time when uh, it was kind of relatively new and people were you know saying it was going to do great things for joints and there's a little bit of science behind it and we did some and and if you're doing cell culture work yes you can find some things that it changes uh you know in a cell culture that might be indicative that it might help Uh, but the real test of course is when you go ahead and you test it in the live animal and and uh, I even tried it on myself. Uh, I was training for my first marathon and my knees were hurting and, and I tried some. And uh, interestingly, I went to the pharmacist to get some and I asked her what her recommended type was. And she said that, and then she also said, oh, and a lot of my uh, clients also, you know, have had great success with shark cartilage. And, I told her that, well, I believe in the placebo effect too, (laughs) because I was already very skeptical on the shark cartilage, but the glucosamine, I was like, yeah, you know, we'll see, maybe it'll do something. I didn't think it did anything for me. When I quit, uh, you know, after I finished the marathon and I quit running those long miles, my knees improved. That was a big thing. Uh, Changing out shoes, getting new shoes because you wear them out pretty quickly, that made a difference. And I use that as a little example because oftentimes, Here's what we refer to as confounding effects. So you change up one thing and you change up another thing. And if something improves, you give credit to whichever one you want to give it you know, credit to. So the fact that if I had kept on taking the glucosamine and my marathon was over and I got new shoes and I was no longer running those long distances and my knees felt better, the temptation might be to give credit to glucosamine. Um, so that's why we actually do research and we do controlled studies if done correctly. And some of the research projects looking at glucosamine in horses have not been done correctly uh, because they don't have control groups. So you'll have a, a group of horses with some soreness, and uh, you'll start to supplement them, and six weeks later you'll evaluate them, and things have changed, and you chalk it up to glucosamine. Whereas in reality, time heals most things. Most people that are, are runners, you know, you've been sore at some point or another, and Even if you never take any treatment, that soreness disappears and you get better because the body does a pretty good job of repairing itself in some circumstances. But now let's talk about some more of the research. What's interesting is if you go to your local place, wherever you buy your supplements and you buy those supplements and you analyze them, they don't always contain what they're supposed to. Uh, there's been studies out there that have done just that and analyzed a number of different supplements. And some contain more glucosamine than they should, some contain less, some contain absolutely none. I, I don't recall if the supplement was glucosamine or chondroitin sulfate, which kind of is reported to have similar effects by people who want to believe that again no skepticism in that but anyway uh, pretty shocking that it actually contains none of the active ingredient and, and there is no rhyme or reason it's not like expensive ones were more likely to have it than the cheap ones there is nothing that you could use to indicate whether it really had the ingredient in there but then again, the big question is, is whether it has an effect. And I like to cite, there was a paper published in the New England Journal of Medicine, 2006. They had, uh, I think some words uh, somewhere between 1400 and 1600 patients, if I recall correctly, number of different treatments, uh, you know, a control group that was receiving a placebo, a group that was receiving just glucosamine, uh, a treatment that was receiving chondroitin sulfate by itself, treatment that was containing both glucosamine and chondroine sulfate. So spoiler alert, glucosamine by itself didn't show any difference from placebo. Chondroitin sulfate by itself did not show any uh, improvement compared to placebo. The interesting one is that glucosamine and chondroine sulfate combined, 66% of the people that took it saw improvement. And that sounds great, except uh, 60 or 61% of the people on the placebo also saw improvement. Oh. And the difference between those was a, a trend. and for those you aren't familiar with statistics we tend to believe that anything under a 0.05 is significant meaning yeah there probably really is a difference there between 0.05 and 0.1 we say it's a trend meaning you know they weren't different but maybe if we had a few more subjects you might see a difference again this study had like 1600 people in it if the best you can pull out is a trend at 0.09 if there is an effect, it's really, really minor. If we're doing a horse study and we have five horses per treatment and we're finding a trend at 0.09, it doesn't get us all that excited, but there we can say, you know, maybe if we add another horse or two, we might have seen a difference. The other thing that was brought up in a later paper regarding that is they were wondering if the difference... and and there wasn't a statistically significant difference, but the difference between 66% of the people seeing improvement and 60% of the people seeing improvement is is maybe the placebo effect regarding, did people that were receiving glucosamine and chondroitin sulfate combined, did they actually receive more tablets compared to, for instance, uh, control group getting three placebos, uh, glucosamine getting three glucosamine pills, chondroion sulfate getting three chondroion uh, sulfate pills and the combined ones getting three glucosamine and three chondroitin sulfates, which would mean you're taking more so there would be a perception that it should maybe even be more powerful because there's been studies that have shown that the more expensive a placebo is, the better it works. So if you're taking more pills, even if they do nothing, you're, you mentally may believe that it does a better job. But again, I'm looking, at if you have 1,600 individuals and you can't pull out a treatment difference, people are spending a lot of money. One final note on glucosamine. I was speaking in Louisville, Kentucky, American Association Equine Practitioners meeting. They had a special session called Focus on Joints. Had a colleague that was uh, talking about glucosamine and the moderator for that session indicated that well, he asked my, my colleague whether he could identify a single good horse study that shows glucosamine works. And my colleague had to say, no, he couldn't. And, and the moderator turned to this audience, which was primary, primarily veterinarians, and there were hundreds of them there, and he said, how many of you recommend like glucosamine products for your clients? And probably about 90-95% of the, the people, which again were primarily vets, raised their hand. And he said, you know, I've been thinking about writing a position paper, how we are recommending a product that there is no evidence it really works. And so that's my thing on glucosamine is there's a lot of being sold. People are making a lot of money on this, and there is no good research that shows it does a thing in horses, Mm -hmm. except drain your pocketbook.
0: Well, that brings to light some other things as far as supplements and veterinarians. I rely on my veterinarian to give me some good advice. I believe a lot of things she says. She's treated my animals very well over the years. Do the vets not really know, or are they just kind of, uh, well, might be getting a kickback? What what does the average horse owner believe, and what should they and should they not believe?
1: I think it's really tough for the average horse owner. Uh, You know, I live in a privileged world that if I have a question on this, I can hit up the scientific literature. I have access through the university. I say our students are living at the best time of their lives while they're in college, and of course they're thinking something else, but I'm thinking, you have access to all the scientific literature. Um, The average horse person doesn't have access to that, and so they're really limited in their ability to search out the truth, and so often they are dependent upon someone like their veterinarian. Um, You know, I work with a number of them that are great scientists, also, Uh you know, here at Michigan State, we have a number of them that they are scientists, they're doing research, they have access to the literature. on top of things but there are also a lot of veterinarians who you know they're working their tail off trying to keep your animals healthy and uh treating them and doing surgery and things like that and and they don't have access to the scientific literature and they can fall prey to marketing also and um And I'm not trying to be critical. We all have our specialties. So again, I'm a professor in the animal science department. I have a research and teaching appointment. My job entails looking at scientific literature. You don't want me to do surgery on your horse because it will die. Um, So we all have our place. (laughs) And, And again, a lot of vets will know the correct answers. And some of them don't know the correct answer. And there is no way your average horse person will know which is correct and you and you can't even hit up dr google as it's often said because there's a lot of people out there saying stuff and they're trying to sucker people in because it's all about money and i get that i've always said that i wish i had no ethics because i could make a lot of money in the horse industry selling useless stuff as for the kickbacks you know to some degree there can be that and it certainly is evident in human medicine where certain Mm -hmm. drug companies They are, you know, there are kickbacks that come along with them. I even see it with like supplement companies. Some of them are huge sponsors, the veterinarian meetings. And um, you know, you you get special perks if you order this much of their product through their company. I don't think the vet, I I don't know how they do it. In other words, I just don't know how they properly search things out. Because one, they're busy doing other things. But we often fall into that trap where we trust them because why would you not trust your veterinarian? Mm -hmm. But uh, again, when it comes to supplement, it's not your best source of information. They often will be selling it. uh, And it's just that they haven't taken the time to thoroughly research it. And even with my students, I challenge them to look at the literature, but you can read a study and it can lead you one way, but until you're trained in how to properly read scientific literature and read and decipher things that are what i'd call bs um they you can get fooled and so it's a tough challenge i guess your best option is if you can get your information through universities but i even see people at universities that have fallen prey to the whole marketing thing and they believe popular dogma as to, well, everybody says this is the case. And I'm like, yeah, but have you hit up the scientific literature? Because that's not the case. And and one thing we have to avoid doing is believing anecdotal evidence, where somebody says, I gave my horse this, and then something happened. My horse improved or got better. Because that doesn't prove Anything, And I, I love telling the story. A guy who sold some vitamin mineral mixes in the southwestern part of the United States, he said that he would take his empty sacks from his supplement and put them into the garbage cans of people who had just won a big stakes race at a racetrack. Because it's human nature. Ooh, what are they going ahead? And they're giving their horse. And oh, it's because of this mineral mix. That's why that horse has become a superstar. And it has nothing to do with that. It's a tough deal, and I don't know how to tell somebody to really analyze it
0: there's been a crossover recently at least i've noticed it more as a trend in the horse industry of humans have the holistic kind of method they have the oils and um, one of the current products that's on the market is well side oils there's like devil's claw and things like that Have you or anyone that you know of studied any of the holistic kind of oils and things that they're utilizing to assist with, and maybe not just joints or joint health, but uh, basically to assist in horse health or supplementing their...
1: I've done numerous research projects Mm -hmm. on uh, lots of different things. Um, You mentioned devil's claw. I believe there has been a study or two that have been done. Uh, I don't recall the results on it. Uh, Apparently it's, uh, if I read it and it was extremely convincing, I probably would have remembered it more. I do know that actually the military has funded some horse research using uh, horses as a model for humans. So trying to find uh, things that will help uh, endurance for soldiers. And the military believes that some of these things might have some benefits. And I'm not saying Devil's Claw is one that goes along with that. But I, Mm -hmm. I just know that there's a university or two that I know has received such funding to look at some of these things. Most of it probably has not been properly researched which means you have a controlled study and you have people blinded to it, where you have some animals that are receiving the supplement, some animals that are receiving a placebo, and then somebody who does not know which one is which evaluates them. Okay. And I'll give you a little example as to why that's important. Whenever we do a study, we do have it blinded and uh, a placebo that goes along with it, okay. particularly uh, if we're doing it out there in the industry. And uh, we've had some studies done at some large standard bread farms, and, with a supplement and the placebo we sometimes have used is revealing all my magic secrets right now so hopefully none of these people that we might do studies with in the future are listening but like regular flour like you bake with with maybe a little Kool-Aid added for a little color and a little odor and on multiple occasions I've had trainers whose horse has been on the placebo say wow I can't believe how much better my horse is doing on this Um, and they ask you know where can we get it and I I because they're in the middle of study I can't tell them well you can go down to your local supermarket and get it (laughs) and and then when we reveal at the end that well your horse was on flour with a little bit of kool-aid added they're like What do you think, maybe that was what made the difference? And the answer is no, it didn't. Sometimes horses do better, sometimes they do worse. And and the problem is if somebody's been giving a supplement and their horse do do better, they want to give credit to that supplement. But that's why it's really critical to do a proper study where it is controlled so that you can evaluate how animals respond with it, and how animals respond without it and if there is a difference in that response then you can say the, the, the substance worked and it's also really good to repeat studies because sometimes just by pure chance you'll find a difference and uh, whereas if you repeat it multiple times you might not ever find that difference again so that's why in science it is handy to go ahead and repeat things the problem is is course research is expensive For every horse that I have on a study, a nutrition study, it costs me $11 per day per horse to have them on that study. Mm -hmm. You start to have a lot of horses on a study, it's only 10 and that's a small number compared to other animal species, but that's $110 per day just to have the horses. Um, That isn't including anything you're doing with them experiment wise. And, And so most of our studies would last maybe months. And so you can see how expensive horse research is. And that also explains why a lot of the supplement companies won't do the research because people are buying it anyway. People don't want evidence. I always say there's a difference between food animal people and horse people. Food animal people say, is there a difference? Is this economically worthwhile? Horse people will say, well, Will it hurt the horse? If it's not gonna hurt him, I'm gonna try it. It doesn't matter what it costs. Yeah, and you know, some of these supplements cost a buck or two per yes. day. Yes. And then you start adding multiple ones and this costs way more to provide supplements that often do nothing for your horse than it does to actually feed and care for your animal. I, I always say that if supplements were necessary for a horse, my horses would have died <laughs> because I don't give them supplements. Because, right. and I'm not saying that there aren't some things that don't help or don't work but the number of those are really tiny compared to the ones that the research just does not show a difference.
0: Horse massage has been a thing as a physiology guy. What's your take on horse massage?
1: I'm sure massage feels good. I'll start with that. Yeah. I posed this question to one of my grad students who was at a barn and there was a local massage person coming out and everybody's getting their horse massaged. and there's this little bit of peer pressure that goes along with it at some of these stables. And it's like, well, you're a bad horse owner if you don't get your horse their massage. And, and I posed this challenge to my student, my grad student, I said, so if this is such a great thing, if your horses love it so much, take that horse out to a pasture, start the massage, pull the halter off and turn the horse loose. If the horse likes it more than eating grass and stays around and ignores eating grass, then your money is well spent. If your horse would rather go graze grass than stand there for the massage, then you decide whether your money was well spent because I bet you can let your horse graze grass for free and your horse probably enjoys it more. So that's my first take on it. Now I did have an individual, I've never had like a real massage, but some of these deep muscle ones supposedly can be somewhat painful. And they say, well, you know, it might not feel good for the horse, but it might be beneficial and so i'll throw that out as valid argument but i don't think there is any studies out there that shows improved performance by massaging your horse they may show increased blood flow to the skin or things like that and that's nice that's sweet don't know what different that really makes but yes you can increase the blood flow to the skin and by massaging it does that make your horse run faster does that make your horse jump higher does that make your horse perform better in the show ring Probably not, at least the research hasn't shown it. Horse people are notorious for just doing things because they think it's a nice thing to do and they love their animal and so they wanna do everything they can for it. And if money's no issue, you know what? If that makes you happy to think that you're making your horse happy, go for it. Mm -hmm. I do challenge, again, turn your horse loose while it's getting its massage. If it stands there for that half hour while it's happening, you can believe your money was well spent if the horse leaves. Then you really need to question whether it's worth it or not especially when there aren't proven benefits to performance
0: yeah and i've wondered a lot about that because i've been one of those horse owners who has kind of fallen into the whole okay the glucosamine is going to help my old horse and and so on and so forth but then not received what i felt was the uh, benefit from the supplement so that's why i really wondered if i'm doing things correctly, or or even if that supplement is full of things that may even hurt the horse. Well, there
1: certainly are supplements that have some things that are detrimental. And and in fact, one thing to think about is people often think you need to supplement vitamins to your horses. And no. Um, And if you move into like some of the fat soluble vitamins, for instance vitamin E some people think you should supplement it because of like improved antioxidant status and things like that mm-hmm. there are no studies that show improved performance based on supplementing with vitamin E yes it can raise the amount of or the vitamin E status of the horse they have more stored in their body that doesn't mean anything is improved it just means you have more stored there and then you run into the risk that if you're supplementing too much The fat-soluble vitamins, they stay there. You could potentially create a toxicity by doing something where you think you're helping your horse, but it really probably doesn't need it. In 2014, I was at the International Conference on Equine Exercise Physiology in Manchester, England, and there was a speaker there who posed the idea that providing lots of antioxidants, and he's like, I don't think that's a great idea. And he said, what you need to do is make your your body tougher. And so if you're providing all these antioxidants, you aren't making your body tougher, you're providing an easy out. And another comparison he did was that uh, if you want to become more fit through bike riding, your best thing is not to be cruising around on your $2,000 bike. Your best bets to be cruising around on your little $20 one speed. The idea is you're going to have to work a lot harder on that one speed so you will get more fit. And then if you want to actually compete, well then hop on your $2,000 bike. So that's kind of his comparison regarding the antioxidants. I've been suckered in at times, and I hate getting fooled. And one of them that I got suckered in on was psyllium and so it it can be provided to horses to prevent sand colic it's a a fiber source a soluble fiber that kind of binds it up maybe i should probably call it an insoluble fiber but it it binds sand up in the gut to help expel it so a horse doesn't experience sand colic and i brought in a bunch of sand um in one spot i thought well just to be safe let me buy this and feed it Uh, i know it was expensive but i didn't want to deal with any sand colic and Uh, i happen to be serving on the national academy of sciences subcommittee on horse nutrition we wrote the horse nrc that appeared in or was published in 2007. as i'm doing research on this i came across a couple of studies that showed psyllium doesn't do any more for clearing sand than does hay which makes sense hay is a lot of fiber, and if you feed a lot of hay, that's going to help take that uh, that sand right out of the gut. And my horses were on hay at that time, I'm thinking, so I spent all that money on something that really isn't going to do something mm. uh, better than what uh, you know I'm currently doing. Now, if your horses are not on a hay diet, they're on a lush pasture, and it's you have sand all over, and they're eating that, and they're consuming a lot of sand, and you're not consuming that fibrous hay, certainly there may be some benefit, but I felt suckered in. I really yeah. did, and, and it kind of irritated me because uh, I hate to. I hate to be a sucker. I hate to spend money on things that are absolutely useless. But it, that temptation is there. A lot of people have fallen into it, and the other problem is, is when somebody's giving you this recommendation and it's somebody you respect, the temptation is to believe them. Right. And uh, I, I always kind of go follow the money. Mm-hmm. Because if they're making money off this recommendation, then be skeptical. Okay. Because it just might. And some of these people absolutely believe in the stuff that they're peddling. Yeah. But if they're making money on it, be very skeptical. And I'm not against making money. I love money. But as I try to advise students or you know uh, owners or trainers, those are some things that you need to consider. Is you know why is that person trying to sell you this product?
0: have you done a study in which you were surprised by the results as far as a supplement yes that, that the, the
1: biggest one i'll tell you
0: i mean the word or, or
1: yeah no no yeah, no no yeah. um I, I, there's been a couple um, the more f- most fun one for me uh, i was approached by a, a gentleman who his company sells bee pollen and i've known about bee pollen forever and i thought it was absolutely fraudulent um, and for those who don't know what bee pollen is, and I really didn't at that time, uh, it's uh, when bees go around and harvest pollen and they go to the hive, there are special little traps that knock off some of the pollen from their legs as they enter their hive. And that pollen is collected and it can be fed to horses or human athletes. It's a pretty common supplement. Some of these also have some other things added, some vitamins and stuff, you know, in the commercial products. Anyway, this individual wanted me to test their product and i put them off for about a year because i didn't want to be considered a pollen pusher and uh, finally i realized this guy is doing what i challenge everybody to do if you believe in your product put your money where your mouth is this guy was willing to spend money to do the research to see whether the product worked and uh, we had a, a group of horses that we put into training and they were our schoolies you know horses at the university that are ridden in the riding classes and I know there are some people that think these horses have a lot of work and that they're fit, and they are absolutely not. And uh, on our initial uh, exercise test, because we tested them at the beginning of the study, none of the horses could complete the exercise test. After their training, we got them really fit, and absolutely everyone could finish the exercise test. So that was a fail on my behalf designing the study. I screwed up, because I got the horses too fit. They went beyond our capability to detect treatment differences you know if if at the end of the study the bee pollen horses had been able to complete the study and the control horses hadn't that would have been a way to say yes it worked but when all of them were able to finish the project i was like well that failed but the really interesting thing is part way through that we did a digest a digestibility trial people claim bee pollen gives horses you know a bigger appetite and increases nutrient digestibility and all this other bs as far as i was concerned but we did a a digestibility trial in the middle. And what we did is uh, uh, we gave them their bee pollen, the ones that were receiving it, mixed in with a little bit of oats, and then we gave them ad libitum access to hay, meaning they could eat as much hay as they want. And in that process, we measured how much they were consuming and horse research, especially nutrition research is really glamorous because the other thing we do is we collect all their urine and all their feces. (laughs) So you do this for a number of days and the idea is you compare what the horse ate to what they excrete. And uh, my research assistant, she came up with uh, the results after the laboratory analysis was done. And she said, uh, well, the bee pollen horses, they had lower fiber digestibility, meaning they had decreased ability to digest fiber, but they digested more fiber. And I'm like, okay, that doesn't make any sense. If you're decreasing your ability to digest fiber, but you're digesting fiber, those things don't work together. Let me see the spreadsheet. And when I looked at it, Every single horse on the bee pollen ate more hay on every single day than any of the horses in the control group ate on any of the days. And I was like, well, that makes sense. They might have lower (laughs) digestibility, but that's because they were eating so much more hay. And that was one of those things I was like, son of a gun, these people who claim it increases appetite? Looks like they were right so i was completely surprised by that again i failed in my study to detect treatment differences regarding exercise i still have no idea if it does or not but a big problem in the horse industry the racing horse industry for example is you race a horse heavily stresses them they go off feed for a little bit what you really want is you want your horse to have its appetite you want it to be gobbling down its feed so it's feeling good and gets its energy back and it's tough when a horse goes off feed. And in the race industry, we often refer to that horse as being track sour. And one of the things, and there's not been a study to confirm this. So here I'm talking anecdotal, but man, I'll tell you what, it's looking pretty convincing. I've often given like uh, injectable B vitamins, getting some thiamine, some vi Vitamin B1 as well as vitamin B12. There's some biochemical reasons why those might help with a horse that has uh, gone off its feed that's hard working. But in essence, this beet pollen also has B vitamins in it, mm. which is kind of funny. B bee vitamins, beet pollen, you get it. And so that may have been what went ahead and allowed those horses to maintain their appetite. So that one absolutely surprised me. I had a Another mineral supplement that was from Ireland, Uh, it's actually harvested off the coast of Ireland as well as, I believe it's Iceland or Greenland. And I know there's a difference. I just Mm -hmm. don't recall which one it is uh, harvested off of. It's a mineral source from an algae uh, background. And the people that had it from Ireland, they were like, oh, it's gonna improve bone formation, give them stronger bone. And I'm kind of like, yeah, right. And so I challenged them because it's like, Let's compare your mineral against calcium carbonate, limestone, because that's what's in a lot of horse feeds. And um, it's one thing if you just provide extra calcium, but if you're comparing just the source, uh, I think that's a better test to see if it's anything magical. I really didn't expect to see a difference and son of a gun, we did. And what we were seeing, we were seeing some differences in bone formation, uh, looking at some of our bark markers of bone turnover. And I really hadn't expected to see it. The one thing that I question—I've done some research also with silicon, bioavailable silicon sources—and uh, our working hypothesis on bioavailable silicon is that it enhances bone turnover, which will allow injuries to be repaired quicker. And uh, this this mineral source from the from the algae base—it actually has a lot of silicon in there. And so potentially that was what was making the difference. So yeah, every once in a while, I'm pleasantly surprised and I'm always impressed when we have people that are willing to spend the money, do the research, see if it works or not. And um, there's also individuals who have paid to have the research and the product absolutely does nothing. Uh, and it's funny because uh, I respect very much the companies that say, well, you know what? That's why we did the research we'll check out something different then. And then there are some companies that don't like that. And, and they kind of get a little nasty when you, or I don't know if nasty's too strong of terms. I'm thinking of one example where nasty fits. Others are in denial and they still don't believe the results, mm-hmm. but they have never done the studies before. So again, I applaud the companies that put their money where their mouth is. And I really applaud the ones that believe the results. And if it doesn't do anything, they say, well, let's try something else another little interesting thing where people get suckered in would be electrolytes and i love using the example um there is you can buy a paste electrolyte you stick it in their mouth you squeeze the syringe and i had to write an article for the thoroughbred times once and it was about electrolytes and talked about what the requirements of horses are and then i compared them to a local electrolyte here and it costs about seven bucks this electrolyte dose and it contains about 0.625 grams of sodium chloride now to put that into english that's 0.625 grams of salt just regular table salt and the horse's requirement like if you're exercising is mini grams not just 0.625 grams after i had that article came out i happened to be in the detroit airport and the editor for the thoroughbred times gave me a call and he said I have somebody who called me, and basically it was the guy who is the manufacturer of that product. And I was like, "Uh-oh, he's not going to like that." I didn't name it by name, but I gave you know what the the nutrient explosion was on that. So he pretty much identified. Yes, I was talking about his. And he called me up, or I returned his phone call. He gave me uh, the guy's number, and I the guy was very pleasant. I was amazed, but he was asking well, how did I know what the horse's requirements are? And I explained, well, you know, the horse NRC, what's that? Anybody who's doing anything with equine nutrition should know what the horse NRC is. So the fact he was making this electrolyte replacement and he had no clue what the horse's requirements are kind of was scary. And he said, well, can I hire you to, you know, help with this stuff? And I'm like, well, I'm at a university. We give this advice out. That's our job. And, uh, You never contacted me again and the product is still out there and it's still 0.625 grams of sodium chloride. And to put it in more perspective, I mentioned I was at the Detroit airport. I happened to, just for fun, I stopped by a McDonald's and I I pulled out one of those little packets of salt that you get, like with your French fries, they come for free. That contains 0.7 grams of salt. So that little packet of salt you get for free contains more salt than does this pace that you're paying seven bucks for. But people give it, they think they're actually doing something when they are absolutely doing nothing except padding somebody's wallet. But again, how does an average person know? Most people, you say 0.625 grams of sodium chloride. And first of all, they have no clue what a gram is. And sodium chloride, a lot of them would not even know what that is. But uh, you could just provide regular salt for your horse. For the electrolytes, they need sodium and chloride. Regular salt gets that in there. Most horses consume a lot of forage, forage is typically very high in potassium, really easy to meet your horse's electrolyte requirements for your average horse. Maybe some really hard working endurance horses, Uh, you know, I know some some standard breds that are in heavy duty training, especially in the summer, they might stand for a little bit extra, but most horses really don't require anything other than having salt provided for your horse. Another little interesting thing regarding salt, Uh, I was, uh, in Australia, uh, a month or so ago, and uh, I was visiting with somebody there, and we we're talking about electrolytes and and um, talking about there's this Himalayan salt that's the new trend uh, for horses, and, and they said actually there seems some cases of goiter because mm. people have moved away from regular iodized salt, yeah. um, and so these horses there are now receiving this Himalayan salt because it's the new trendy thing and. People are making a lot of money selling it and it really? sounds like a great thing but it's not iodized and so these horses are now deficient in iodine because people have moved into the the trendy thing and so when you say about harming horses sometimes you harm them by not giving something that they would get if you weren't really messing with their diet trying to be fancy wow yeah <laughs> there's so much that goes into it and there's so there many ways to screw up a horse and most of the time, you're better off if you don't do anything.
0: If that's a closing or a takeaway message from this, uh, what would be your takeaway from? The I, I'll give you a little. Ex- supplement.
1: I'll give you a little example. Um, I had a, a standard bread trainer that. Uh, Um, He agreed to help out with a little research project. We were looking at shoeing, trimming type stuff. And it wasn't a real research project because we were going to do all the horses, but we just wanted to see. I had this uh, farrier that thought he could really improve horse's performance by the way he trimmed them. But we're sitting around and we're chatting, and uh, I mentioned my thoughts on horse nutrition, which is good quality forage, and for like a standard bred racehorse, just buy a commercial concentrate that's high in fat. And uh, what he was doing is he was feeding oats and every kind of supplement under the sun. I came back three weeks later and he said, have you seen my room?" I said, no, he goes, come on in. He'd gotten rid of all the supplements. He'd gotten rid of the oats and he had bought just a commercial concentrate, high in fat. Doesn't matter the brand name. Most of them are produced by people who have PhDs in equine nutrition and know what they're doing and they're good quality products. And uh, then we also got talking about training and how he trained. And I was like, yeah, the way you guys train standard cause this guy was, he was jogging his horses every day, like seven to 12 miles. And he was also, uh, the only time they got a day off was the day after a race. And I'm like, you know, that doesn't make sense to me. Cause I like the idea of resting a little bit before you race and, and going that many miles when your race is only a mile long, it doesn't seem to make sense. And so he changed up all of that too. So we changed up all kinds of things, so I, I'm not gonna claim cause and effect. But what was interesting, prior to that point, he said that in 25 years, they only made money twice. He and his wife did it just because they loved it. And after that, he started making money. And his horses have been extremely successful. I, I think a lot of it was due to the training. He was overtraining them, okay. and he was training them at dis- for distances that they will never race at. The horses were fatigued because they weren't getting that time off before a race but then the nutrition too we make it so complicated a good quality forage most horses probably get by on that i, I would say i, I have a, a a gentleman that i was speaking with in spain he was from germany one of the greatest equine nutritionists i know i'm going to give him a little quote he says the only good hay is a hay that has been analyzed. And I love that because it's a good point. We think we're feeding a good hay until you have it analyzed and you know what's in there. You don't know what's in there. So you can have this beautiful hay that looks gorgeous and it could be very deficient in minerals. So the deal is always try to achieve what you're wanting to achieve with your forage first, but you need to analyze to find out what might not be sufficient in there. And then you make up whatever you can't with a concentrate. And I am a big fan of a good commercial concentrate doesn't matter the the brand name. Again, lots of good ones out there. Rarely, rarely, if ever, will a supplement be needed because most of them absolutely don't do anything. And when you start messing with the diet, I see people messing it up. You're much better off going relatively simple. It'll keep your horse healthier, happier, and uh, you're gonna save a lot of money.
0: It's really interesting, all the things that you don't know as just a general horse owner, and all the things you believe as a general horse owner and you really wanna do the best you possibly can for your horse. So that's why I really wanted to talk to you about about the physiology aspect of it and supplements
1: well one more closing note on that you mentioned the horse nrc so i worked on that from 2003 to 2007 and Mm -hmm. and before i worked on that i thought i knew something about nutrition after working on it i realized how little i know Mm -hmm. about nutrition and a little cautionary tale is if you have somebody who knows all the answers don't trust them because the best nutritionists recognize we still don't know all that much. And if somebody's giving you very specific recommendations, start to get really skeptical. I don't know how somebody has decided that this horse requires one scoop of A, one scoop of B, two scoops of C, you know, all these different things. And there'll be people that'll recommend all that stuff. And when they start to recommend all that, and they don't have any real science behind that, in other words, peer-reviewed, published, controlled studies, be very skeptical because that's a person you probably shouldn't be believing. The more people say they know or act like they know, probably the less they really do. When I'm teaching, I say, I don't know many, many times because that's the answer. Well, thank
0: you for Uh, sitting down with me, Dr. Bell. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: It's a great topic, and hopefully we can save some people some money. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of That's Horse Pucky. For questions or comments about our program, please feel free to contact us at thatshorsepucky at gmail.com.